Hello and welcome to Between the Mountains podcast with me, Chris, and today we are speaking with Kate about her trek to Everest Base Camp. It's incredible. She went solo and unassisted. She went on her own on the flight there. She met some people a bit later into the trek. I'll let her tell you all about that. But it's just incredible the the determination, the focus she had to go there and just enjoy it and take her time. It was 21 beautiful days trekking to Everest Base Camp and back. And she adds on just a little bit of spice on the end as her way of having an encore. It's really incredible. It, to be honest with you, it took words out of my mouth. I didn't know what to say after she described it. I thought it was really beautiful. So I'll let you have a listen and dive straight into it. But before we do, I'm going to link her website down below. We didn't discuss it in the podcast, but she's got a brilliant website with way more details about many different locations, including Everest Base Camp. So I really recommend you go and check it out. But let's get straight into it. So hello, Kate. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for coming on. How are you doing? I'm pretty good. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Lovely. So you're currently in Chamonix. Uh, and at time of recording, we are in the middle of a lockdown. So arguably, I think you've got the better <laughs> better of the two options. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I have a, a full view of Mont Blanc from my front door. So you can't really complain about that view. Not at all. Not at all. I'm hoping to do that next year, actually. Um, yeah, well, I was hoping to do it this year, but we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'd like to think no one would be up there. So if you could sneak out, then technically you're social distancing. <laughs> Uh, it doesn't quite work like that in France (laughs) not quite like that no (laughs) that's not the right attitude to have either is it so it's not going anywhere so but um we're here to talk about quite a different mountain today um yeah why didn't you introduce it what what are we talking about today uh Everest Base Camp in Nepal (laughs) which is nuts so um so yeah you'd spent um a good amount of time going to Everest Base Camp. Um, and yeah, I mean, yeah, I'd love to hear all about it. I haven't actually heard anyone in detail talk about it yet. I just, you just, you just see the packages left, right and center. So, so yeah, take us away. What, why did you go? What, what was it like? Like, like, you know, who did you go with? Yeah. So I, I mean, I feel like most people who like mountains have always, always want to go to see Everest and go mm-hmm. to Everest Base Camp. And at the time, I was traveling around India and Nepal. And originally, I had seen all these packages. And I think the maybe the cheapest sort of tour to hike it I'd seen was $3,000, which was definitely outside of a backpacker's budget. Yeah. And so I, <laughs> I just had this idea that while I was traveling around India and Nepal for the month, a couple of months before it, that I would probably meet some other travelers who actually wanted to hike it alone as well. And then it got closer and closer and closer to the time where I would have to go unless otherwise I would miss out on the time frame to do it. And I hadn't met anyone to do it with me. So I just decided to go do it by myself. <laughs> nice. <laughs> well, I mean, that's a, yeah. that's a, a strong attitude to have. Uh, I'm quite admirable because <laughs> I know a lot of people do rely on others. Yeah, I mean, I'd always been a pretty independent person and that kind of thing. And I had a little bit of hiking experience, but sort of nowhere near the amount of trekking experience that I probably should have had but it was it was pretty doable and it wasn't like it didn't feel overly ridiculous at the time especially by the time I'd finished it I was well and truly in my zone 
So off the back of you mentioning that you didn't have too much hiking experience before this, um, I'll I'll jump straight to a question I was planning on asking at some point anyway, um, which is altitude. How did you get on with altitude there? Um, well, I actually didn't have much of a problem with the altitude. I had experienced higher altitudes before because I'd been traveling in South America sort of six months before that anyway. So I'd yeah, okay. been like a lot of South America has lots of high altitude and I'd done sort of day hikes and one multi-day hike sort of above 4,000 meters. So I was used to oh. what it felt like. I, I knew I knew that it felt like, but that was actually my biggest sort of fear going into it by myself because I know the type of person I am and I knew that if I was really close to base camp and I got altitude sickness, I would want to keep going. So, <laughs> so that was sort of the only same as many. worry I had. <laughs> well, fair, fair um, play for you for identifying the, the worry, at least anyway. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I feel like that was probably a really good thing because I just forced myself to go slowly even when I knew I could keep walking and go to the next village that day if if it sort of seemed like the time in my planning that I needed to have a rest day and have a little bit of acclimatization, I would stay even if I felt fine. Yeah, yeah, that's actually a smart idea to make then. Um, yeah. it's, it, I'm no expert in... So I'm not going to try and say that six months ago helped you. Um, I, I have no idea if that's something to laugh at or something worth considering. But it's good that at least you knew how it felt because I think a lot of the time it's that unknown. You could be absolutely fine, but you've not felt something before. So you can start to panic and go a bit off. I guess go a bit yeah. crazy. And yeah, I, I mean, the, the six months time difference between being up at altitude and then going down and back and up again, that wouldn't really help me at all. But I think it was more knowing that I felt it before and I knew what it would feel like. Yeah. And like recently I was hiking in uh, Pakistan and someone got altitude sickness and he had never had anything like that before and he was just freaking out because he didn't really know what was going on, whereas I yeah. feel like I had that advantage here. Yeah. Well, perfect. Well, sorry for uh, distracting you. <laughs> um, so Everest Base Camp, uh, what was what was the overall trip like and, and how – how did you get there after deciding, screw it, I'm going to go anyway? Yeah, so there was a little bit of a steep learning curve because I only had two days to get it organized before I had to leave. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so there was a lot of Googling going on and not a lot of information on the internet. But I talked to some people and I realized basically that there's sort of a tourist um, office in Kathmandu where you have to register and mm -hmm. get a permit for the area. So you can hike without a tour group, but you do have to be registered. So I went to this office. You just had to hand in your passport, passport photos. I think it was your copy of your insurance as well. And that was about it. And then they sign off on it and give you your permit. Um, so is that permit free? Because I know, I know to summit Everest, we're talking quite a lot of money to, to get the permit. Um, as far as Everest Base Camp goes, is, is that free? You just need to register or, or is there a um, fee involved? So it's about $20. Like it's, oh, it's not, not a whole lot of money. It's just um, sort of like a, a park fee type thing to, right, so okay, that they yeah. can keep it running and they can make yeah. sure that they know where people are in the, in the track. So, 10 grand to, to, to summit Everest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a whole that's, different ball game. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Sorry, no, carry on, sorry. That's okay. So, um, yeah, so I got the, the card and then there's also another 
so there's two things you have to get basically there's the permit and then the national parks ticket which you get them at the same place they just do it all in one Mm -hmm. um but the thing about getting the national park ticket early is that when you actually arrive at the start of the trek you have to show them this ticket to get into the the national park and every single day there'll be huge groups of people who haven't bought their ticket yet so they will be lining up and waiting and waiting and waiting but if you get the ticket at the same time as the um permit then you can just walk straight past them and walk straight in yay that's what you want to know (laughs) yeah (laughs) that was a super handy thing to have and then after that i basically just went to one of the sort of tourist offices in Kathmandu, the um, tourist agents, to buy my flight to Lukla. And so that's where the track started. Perfect. And I think before we started recording, um, I think you mentioned that there's a little bit of a uh, a potential problem that can come up with Lukla, the flight to Lukla. Yeah. So the Lukla airport is literally on the side of a cliff on the mountain. Um, it's actually known as the most dangerous airport in the world, which... <laughs> Isn't great. But, well, we're but already it, talking epic at this point, and you haven't even started it, the hike yet. So, yeah, I mean, it, I feel like it's reasonably safe enough. I think the <laughs> problems happened like before they kind of realized it was a big problem, and that's how it gave it that name. Yeah. But not a hundred percent sure. But um, because of the the place of where the airport is, and because the planes are so small, if there's any sort of bad weather, the planes just won't take off. And so a lot of people come into problems with having bought their ticket and then. Maybe there's cloudy weather for three or four days in a row. That means that there's three or four days worth of backed up people waiting for flights. So they keep being bumped and bumped. So with buying the ticket, something that I was advised and I did was only buy buy a one-way ticket um, and then buy your return ticket whilst you're on the trek. So that way you've got a little bit more flexibility because if you bought a return ticket for the exact amount of days you wanted to be hiking and then your your ticket there got postponed and postponed you wouldn't yeah. have any luck getting back on that flight basically top tip there thank you <laughs> you're welcome well, well we're already on two of those so let's see how far we can go <laughs> <laughs> so we've made it to lukla safely i i yes. I, I hope <laughs> well, you're here now so <laughs> i mean yeah the flight itself was pretty amazing. If you sit on the left-hand side of the plane, you get the way better view of the mountains. There's only about oh, 12 wow. people on the plane, and it's an open um, cockpit. So, like, I sat right behind the pilot, basically. And um, what kind of season are we going in? What 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 month of the year did you go? I was there in September. Um, so I think that's apparently the perfect time to go, sort of in the spring and, um, yeah, so basically not summer or winter. You go in the yes. off-season. Yes, um, yeah, shoulder season. Yeah, and I was there, I was trekking for 21 days and I it was blue, clear skies every single day, which oh, wow. is pretty remarkable, but I have heard it happen more than one time. <laughs> wow, perfect. So yeah. we're sitting on the left-hand side of the plane, we're landing safely. Wow. Landing safely, you roll out of the airport, they bring out your bags on this little trolley and it's just a free-for-all so you grab your bag <laughs> and then and then you just you just start walking which is kind of the weirdest thing like yeah. in my head because this was such a big thing and like I was I was still a little bit unsure about doing it by myself and I was just kind of like well it's now or never 
And then you have this big thing, you've gone to the airport, you've gone on this amazing flight, you've then survived the, the dangerous landing, and then, like, you, that's it. You just kind of walk. And then <laughs> there's everyone walks in the same direction, obviously. There is a bit of a town in Lukla. It's the biggest town in the, in the region. Um, <clears throat> so there's hotels and bars and things. Yeah. And some people actually stay the first night there, but there's not really any point staying there because it's not it's not a huge altitude change and you, you wouldn't really have anything to do. So you just kind of keep walking in the same direction as everyone. You walk through the town for about five minutes and then you're on a dirt track and that's it. You just keep following the path. Wow. But Yeah, and then you get to the, the gate where you, you hand in your entrance piece of paper that you've already pre-bought. So you walk past all the people. And then you're on a dirt track and you just keep following the dirt track. <laughs> I mean, as far as traveling alone goes, and, and I, I quite like traveling alone because it's, it's good time to spend in your head. But have you seen that film with Reese Witherspoon? <laughs> yes, I've seen that film. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a dreadful ending. but it's, um, it's not my favorite film. <laughs> no, not mine either. But that's I what I thought of. Like, criticizing her. <laughs> only because if if anyone hasn't seen the film basically in this film Reese Witherspoon needs to just f off for a bit um and she gets a backpack on and she goes hiking um this particular trail in America that's quite long um and and yeah I mean if you've got nothing else to do give it a watch but please don't prioritize it above much <laughs> else but um but yeah that, that's exactly what i thought was was a solo traveler backpack on just a dirt track in front of you that's that's kind of that's basically what she does in that film yeah i mean that was kind of what it was i like to think that i had a little bit more experience than her i knew to wear in my hiking boots and um you know pack properly so <laughs> so those were two advantages i had over her but Essentially, yeah. just walking down a dirt track with your backpack, that's kind of what it is. <laughs> so we have arrived at the airport. We're on a dirt track. Where are we going? So the first stop was called Facting. And the only thing I knew about it was from my little guidebook that I'd bought in Kathmandu the day before I left. Mm -hmm. And it told me that it was going to be about a five-hour walk. So I started, I think I probably started walking around nine or ten in the morning. So I was sort of expecting to get there. Around lunchtime. Um, and then yeah. I knew I was walking like a reasonable pace. I'm not a particularly fast walker, but I'm definitely not a slow walker. And I was overtaking the tour groups that were in front of me. But then I ended up at this town and I looked in my book and there wasn't supposed to be any towns between Namche and Fuckding. And then I realized I was in Fuckding and it was about 11 a.m. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So at least it was a really nice place. Um, it was It's on a river. It was really pretty in, in between the mountains. And there's only a couple of guest houses there sort of on the river. So I just walked into the first one I saw and asked them if they had space. And they said yes. So then I got my room and then just sort of chilled out by the river all day and then watched oh, wow. all of these people roll in. But that was like the first time where I was like, okay, this is day one. I thought I was going to be walking for five hours and it took me about an hour and a half maybe two hours. <laughs> and then, and so I was like, I know I can make it to the next village, but the next village was a few thousand meters higher again. So I was like, well, I feel fine and I could keep walking, but I probably shouldn't keep walking. <laughs> yeah. So I did stay put. So that was kind of like the first learning curve of the hike. <laughs> yeah. Well, was, well, I mean, what did you take away from that? Just walk slower or, or aim higher? 
Um, walk slower. I realized that it, like I'd allocated myself 21 days, but I had, I had enough days to spend 23 days if I needed to before my flight back to Australia from um, Nepal. So I figured like I didn't have to get up super early in the morning because I could walk faster than the people who left before me. <laughs> and, <laughs> and to walk slower and enjoy it more, I guess. So that was kind of what I did from then on was just enjoy my mornings before I left for sure yeah for sure I, I think I'm a bit like you in that respect um I, I've every hike I've done I mean the the only one where I probably recorded times was um Scarfell Pike in in the UK so a measly 900 odd meters um mm-hmm. but uh you start at sea level and they say three hours up three hours down and I got up in an hour and a half um no got oh, up yeah. in just under two hours and I came down in an hour and a half and I was like, um, yeah. right, okay, well, let's go. <laughs> yeah, that happened to me last year here in Chamonix. I was on holiday. And we were trying to get to a sunset hike and we left, left a little bit late. So we were walking fast on purpose. But then we were just at the top, like way before we thought we would get there. Yeah. <laughs> and it was like a thousand meter vertical or something. <laughs> I mean, you, que- you question if you're at the top. I mean, I had 60 mile an hour winds and no visibility, but, but I was at the Ken and then the memorial was there. So I was like, and I was like, there's no other way to go up. So. <laughs> must be there um yeah yeah never mind eh? so perfect so you you you're enjoying your mornings more having a nice relaxing point and then heading off altitude wise you're feeling good as good as well yeah so number uh, something was 2600 meters so it's not too high you don't really feel the altitude just yet yeah um namche bazaar was the next day so that one was a longer hike i did set off a little bit later i thought it I think the, my book said it was going to be about eight hours or something and I might maybe hyped it in six. So like, obviously I knew I was moving faster than the times in the book, but I could still sort of sort my day out that way. So Namche was at three and a half thousand meters and that's kind of a, like 3000, 3200 is where you usually start feeling the effects of altitude. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, so that's why I didn't go there the, the day before. But, uh, yeah, so I went to Namche. Namche is, uh, like, sort of the big central village, I guess, in the Himalayas, which is pretty cool because there's, like, Wi-Fi and cafes and all those kind of <laughs> weird things that you would not expect to find in the middle no, of the map. That's crazy. Yeah, it's, like, it's like kind of like their central hub. It's where most of the helicopters come in and out of as well. So the, the ones that need to supply villages with food or building supplies or whatever it all gets brought into Namche Bazaar and then um that's why it's bizarre to market and then um people hike them up and down to the other villages I mean it's the 21st century so of course they've got something but you just the the first place you think of with wi-fi isn't in the middle of the Himalayas (laughs) well actually I've so when I did the hike a few of the tea houses had wi-fi I think this was 2015 or 16 or I don't remember but a few of the the tea houses had Wi-Fi that you could pay for and it dropped out. But because I was trying to do it on the cheapest budget, I actually set myself a goal is to see how little I could spend on the trip. So I completely cut myself off from Wi-Fi and from showers because you had to pay for them and like <laughs> all of the kind of the little extras. Um, but what I've heard now from someone who did it last year was that you can actually get Wi-Fi on the hike, on the paths, the whole way up the vill- up the no. trail now. 
Yeah, so it's like luxury. Which is crazy because I, I I like switching off, but at the same time, uh, it, imagine. Uh, well, I mean, well, first of all, you might need the navigation. Second of all, imagine FaceTiming well, like your mum or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. People can do that now. Thank <laughs> you. Crazy. So strange. And just just on the, on regards of no showers, uh, I mean, are you dipping in rivers or are you just grizzing it out for three weeks? Um, I had baby wipe showers basically. Festival like, washes. Yeah. <laughs> Yay, nice one. <laughs> um, or then occasionally, like using a, a little splash from the the sink in the bathroom. But well, I yeah, mean, pretty much. Don't just, spoil I mean, yourself. <laughs> <laughs> the water was freezing cold. It was not something I looked forward to. <laughs> yeah, festival wash. That's what we call it. Festival wash. <laughs> <laughs> well, exactly. You're going to be dirty the next day anyway. Everyone's dirty, like except for the people who get nice hot showers. But that's a different story. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway sorry i keep interrupting you with the different comments C- carry on <laughs> it's okay so yeah so i was in Namche, and that's where pretty much everyone takes a rest day in Namche, probably because of the fact of where it is and there's so many things to do like there's i think there was a little um museum type thing there actually and there was some little shops and like there's there's a um, a pub with a pool table in it which is ridiculous like no one really understands how they got the pool table there, but it's there. And <laughs> so that's <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> so um yeah, so the only thing there is well though is that you're not really supposed to drink any alcohol on the way up. So the only people who would, were in the pubs and the bars were the people on their way down, which was kind of a little bit sad for the ones who would just like know that they've already accomplished it, whereas we had so much further to go. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so we had a rest, I had a rest day there. Um, and then I think this is where I met some, some Europeans that were doing it. Um, there was a group of them, there was six of them and, and they had Sherpas and a guide, but the, the reason they were doing it was because one of the members of the group, he, um, he ran a non-for-profit business, which, um, brought like handicrafts and stuff down from the Himalayas and then sold them in the UK and then the profits went back to those who lived in the, the Sherpa communities. Oh, wow. Yeah, so he had been coming back and forth between the Himalayas for like 20 years or something. He'd been doing base camp and after the earthquakes, um, one of the communities reached out to him and asked them to help fund the rebuilding of the community centre. Um, yeah. So that what they had been fundraising for and it was nearly finished. So this group was hiking to see base camp and to go see this community centre, um, which, I mean, that was all pretty interesting. And then they invited me to come along with them. So I actually ended up hiking with them for a lot of the rest of the trek. So which day are we on now um, that, that you finally sort of joined up with the group? I think it was oh, one, two, four, maybe, day four. Oh, okay. So, so fa- fairly early on. Yeah. So that Good was way. totally unexpected, but yeah. but it was, and they were uh, like I had planned to do a full circuit and go over the um, Gokuri path and then come back down the other way. But when I met them, I sort of continued on my way, and it was parallel with them until this certain other point, which is a little bit later. So <laughs> perfect, perfect. So uh, I've got a question, and that is the scenery. I know, obviously, blue sky and mountains, 
But what kind of scenery are we talking about here? Because whenever we think of Everest, my mind straight away goes to the mountainside where there's ice, snow, and, and not much else. Um, but as far as the walk up at the, at the point you're at, what are we looking at whilst we're walking? Um, so you kind of, from uh, Facting to Namche Bazaar, uh, mostly kind of shrubbed, shredded uh, area with mountains, obviously. You couldn't actually see the big snowy peaks just yet until you were coming into Namche Bazaar. That was sort of the first glimpse of the giant Himalaya mountains. And they were still really far away, but sort of nestled behind this village. So you're only kind of just getting the idea of where you're going at this point which was kind of exciting because the mountains just kept building and building and building throughout the whole yeah. hike. Jeez, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. So, I, yeah, it was just bizarre. <laughs> perfect. So you've met up with this group then. Yeah. And where's next on, on the itinerary? So the next uh, place was called Kamjung. And this one was it's sort of a... I don't know. It was just a normal camp. It wasn't that exciting, to be honest. There was a, but the hiking itself is quite interesting because you go through a whole bunch of little tiny villages and they all have their own little prayer wheels that you're supposed to spin and they all have certain directions. You have to walk around. They're like rocks that are painted with the white letters and everything. Yeah. Um, so and there's monuments to all of the sort of people who were in – instrumental in climbing Everest for the first time. So there's like, there's so much culture along the way, which I think is pretty unique to this hike because a lot of the times when you're hiking to big peaks or you're in the mountains, like the mountain is the objective and the nature is there. But this just has a completely different element of like authentic culture as well as mountain history sort of blended together, which is pretty cool. That's Yeah, that's pretty cool. There's not... There's not many other trails that trails that do that. Exactly, yeah. Which I mean, I didn't really know much about the area or anything like that going into it. So to me, that was like a pretty nice surprise because <laughs> I didn't have any idea what to expect. So yeah. I mean, that's one benefit of not doing much research, I guess. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, we'll we'll, we'll try not to. Um... We'll try not to stay on that point for too long, but but yeah, definitely there are times where where it does pay off. <laughs> so I mean, I did the technical research. That was what mattered. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Anyway, the next day, um, we went to Tembushe, which is a monastery in the middle of the mountain. So that one, I think, was actually one. I would say one of the top two hardest days of the trek. Like overall, I thought the hiking was like difficult but doable for an average fitness person like it, it wasn't crazy it was it was just you know persistence yeah. and um but the day going up to Tengbushe where the mon- monastery was it was literally just a full day of walking up a near vertical slope <laughs> Jeez. in debt scrambling well it was there is a path it like zigzags back and forth but it was just I just remember it going and going and going and going and going and thinking it was never going to get to the top. <laughs> like everything was hurting. And then eventually you just kind of pop out of the top of this ridge and then there's like this really big, beautiful monastery and all of the peaks of the mountains are behind. And then there's a couple of little tea houses that are very, very like welcoming at that point. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> after scrambling for that long, you definitely want it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so um, we actually, I was with the group at this point as well, and the the man who ran the non-profit business, he actually knew some of the monks in the monastery because one of their, um, they had like, a, they had a guide and then they had their assistant guide. And the assistant guide actually used to be a monk in that monastery. So he knew them all. So we got to go inside and um, meditate with them. And then we had tea, which was pretty incredible. And That's a wonderful experience. Is that something yeah. everyone experiences or was that just good time, time and place by you? You can go in and watch them meditate in the mornings. I think there's, there's set times and everyone in the tea house knows about it. So you can just ask the people in the tea house, but they have set times where it's kind of like an open door and you can come in and you go inside the monastery and, and you can sit around the walls basically. And I think there was about, there was maybe like 30 monks sitting there just meditating with like nice sort of humming sounds. I don't really know what it's called. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, to be honest, I don't know the word either. So I'm going to take nice humming sounds and that, that's what we'll use. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I mean, it is something that's like, it's really authentic and they're not putting it on for the public, but they've opened their doors because they know that people are interested in it. Yeah. Um, the tea bit isn't normal. You can't normally have tea with the monks. That was just because we had someone on the inside. <laughs> yeah, it's an inside job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, oh, perfect. But yeah, there's, a, there's like a little, so we had a rest day there because of that. A lot of people just keep walking because it's not that big of an altitude change from the last place. Um, but yeah, so we had that little extra day and there's a, a little, there's sort of a small mountain opposite the monastery. So we went up there for a day hike for a little bit more climatization and a better view of the mountains. Um, yeah, that was just a really nice place to spend a day. Yeah, for sure. It's also a really good place to, um, watch the sunrise. <laughs> you, so, okay. So two two things just come. <laughs> I was just about to ask a question, and then you hit me with the phrase "sunrise." So I'm going to skip, skip, go to that one first. So <laughs> I'm 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 a big fan of places to see sunrise, sunset. Whereabouts are you going specifically to see sunrise, or is it just seen sort of everywhere you are in that location? In Templeshire, you can see it from everywhere. Like in oh, the monastery, is it's sort of in a field, and then so when you come up from the 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 deathly incline. Eventually, you, you pop out on the top and then you walk down like maybe 10 metres to the field. So most people just go back up to that very top bit. And, I mean, at that point, you're kind of pretty surrounded by mountains. So the sun sets behind one mountain and it will reflect off a different one. So you kind of get a 360-degree view of the sunset, which is something I haven't seen again, basically. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um and then I was going to ask another question, but it's, it's, it's escaped my mind now thinking about sunrises. So, <laughs> um, so, so do carry on. And if I remember it, I'll, I'll fire it across to you. <laughs> That's okay. So the next day we kept walking on and it actually goes downhill from here, which feels like a relief. But at the same time, you know that you have to gain altitude from where you are. So mm. it's kind of like, oh, it's kind of hard to explain. You're going down, you're going into trees into foresty areas, but you just know that there's going to be really big uphill coming. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. But 
we ended up at Dingboche, which isn't too far away from it. It was only maybe four hours walk. And you're at 4,300 metres at that point. So you're sort of, this is where most people, if they're going to feel altitude or are they at least going to sort of start feeling the effects, this is where they would start feeling it. Yeah. Um, so I can't remember, most people have a, a rest day here, but I think we didn't take our rest day there because we did it the one before from memory. So, yeah, so we spent one night in Dingboche, um, whereas a lot of people spend two. And then we moved on to the next place, which was Lobouche. Um, and that's where we had our uh, extra day. So, well, to be honest, I, I know you said that you um, you weren't particularly affected by the altitude, but what I was going to say earlier was was the way you're describing this hike so far reminds me of a quote I heard on another podcast that I listened to called the Amateur Traveler Podcast, mm-hmm. um, and they they did one on climbing Kilimanjaro, and this woman sort of talks about what she does, and she said it's often the people who go the slowest that are the best with the with the altitude. And actually, I, I think what you're, you're kind of inadvertently doing on this hike so far it kind of reminds me of that quote. You're really taking your time and you're just not in any particular rush. You're just really enjoying the hike that you're doing. So, Yeah, so, well, that's kind of how I set out to do it in the first place. Yeah. Like, that so it's was nice my... to hear you doing that. And it's a good tip to with people listening if they're thinking of doing it, which is don't sprint up the mountain because you, you will you'll be helicoptered back down. <laughs> so. Yeah, exactly. I did, I did meet a couple of people who... Um, along the way who were trying to do it really quickly they were trying to do it they they were trying to do it in 11 days and it's supposed to be like 12 days minimum basically so you need two rest yeah. days on the way up and like they i don't think they really enjoyed it that much so they didn't really comprehend what they were doing they did do it successfully but like you don't really have the time to to appreciate it i think if you're doing it that quickly yeah, it, it, it's it's like ticking the box and that's a dangerous game to play when you're at that altitude so yeah, exactly. So, yeah, so we got to Lombouche, where we had a second rest day there. There's another little acclimatization hike from up there, and, and then you're just over 5,000 metres. So sort of wow. getting close, getting close and closer to the top, basically. Um, I mean, it's crazy to think of this at this level. You're near, you're around about the, you know, Mount Elbrus altitude, which is yeah. the tallest, I believe, also my head, the tallest mountain in Europe. And yet yeah. you're still just around sort of fields, some mountains around you, villages. <laughs> yeah, it turned into this big open valley, which like, it's just, it's just such an epic place to be because you're sort of walking along this valley, but you're at 5,000 meters. So it's not like you're at the base. And um, then you just have, these huge peaks that are still so much bigger than you are on either side of you, just the whole way. Like it's sort of bizarre when you take a photo, it kind of looks photoshopped. If that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But Perfect. yeah. So, um, for us, we actually went from here all the way to base camp in one day, which is not what most people do. Well, actually, no, it wasn't from here. Sorry. I completely forgot about a whole section. Because <laughs> we... I like it when this happens because it's, it's like you're reliving it again when you, when you forget a moment. Yeah. Well, because what I was saying before is about the, so the people that I met who, um, 
had been fundraising for this community center. We yeah. they took they took me with them to to visit the community center. And it was something that it was right on the Tibetan border, so way off the path. There wasn't even tracks most of the way. Oh wow! I think we we ended up at doing an extra five days to get there and back to the trail. Um, and I can't actually remember when we broke off the trail for that, <laughs> but um, it was like it was after the monastery for sure. And because we had this local guide, it was his village that. Um, they were, we, we were going to stay in and everything. So we, we started hiking in this totally opposite direction, left all of the tourists behind. It was just yaks and Sherpas and the seven of us. And yeah. they, it was a few days walk. So we ended up staying in the guide's village with his mum. So we went to his mum's house and had tea with her and we all oh, stayed awesome stayed on the floor um and then the next day we went on to the village so the the way that the community center was sort of organized was that it was one community center for a whole bunch of different villages throughout the area of the himalayas so we actually met the high monk of the himalayas he came to bless like the people who had um fundraised for this community center oh wow yeah, so he'd walked for, I think they said he'd walked for nearly a week or something to come from where he lived to, to the community centre, which was being opened by these Europeans. Um, and it was, like, crazy. We just, we just turned up in this little village and there was, like, a little welcoming committee, this beautiful community centre which was decorated in really bright colours with prayer flags everywhere. And then the monk came out and gave us tea and biscuits and chatted to us for a while and took some pictures. Oh, wow. I mean, yeah. that's gratitude, isn't it? Yeah. Either that or a big ego. But, uh, <laughs> but, but yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. So, like, that's something that I absolutely did not imagine would ever happen to me in my entire life and it doesn't happen to very many people, I would imagine. But, um, yeah, so it was an amazing experience. And then after we had our tea that day and stayed at the community centre for a little bit, we went to a different village which was also involved with the community centre and they had planned this giant party. So it was in, they had like um, a guest house type thing there and they just cleared it all out for us and there was maybe 100, 150 Sherpas that had walked from their villages from all over the region to come to this party to honour the people who had fundraise for the community center wow yeah so totally off the path nowhere near the track nowhere near any other tourists seven of us 150 shepherds <laughs> with, like, <laughs> there was rice wine and all of their traditional food and there was live music they had like some musicians there hey were playing for us they taught us all of the traditional dances and dressed us up in their clothes and like it was just the most sort of I don't know. I feel like it's just sort of the type of night that you would see in a movie and you don't actually think whatever happened to you, but it was real and it was happening in the Himalayas. <laughs> Jeez, that's awesome. Yeah, so that's why I don't know how I could have forgot that whole section. <laughs> that's definitely not something you get by buying a package. <laughs> yeah, but that's why since then, like, I've never really liked, I think I've only ever been on one guided hike um, with a tour group 
in my life and I absolutely hated it. Oh, and really? Yeah, it was, it was before this. It was in um, Peru. Uh, so, but, so, so let's take a side note there, only because my experience of guide, guided hikes, uh, I did Trolltunga and Preikstolen in Norway mm-hmm. and with two different companies and I really liked it. Um, so, so yeah, what, what was it about the, the guided hike uh, elsewhere that, that, that what didn't take your box? Um, well, it might just be that I'm really used to being independent and I didn't like the fact that we were babied the whole way. So, it, I mean, like, yes, everything was organized for you, which makes it easy. But at the same time, like, there was, there was two guides. There was one in front and one behind. And you had to walk slower than the person at the front but faster than the person at the back. And right, okay. everything was very structured. And it's kind of like there wasn't any room for adventures or – like even taking a, a seat at a nice viewpoint to take it in or whatever. Right, okay. I think that's where it might differ because when I did Trolltunga, for instance, I did it with a company called Trolltunga Active. And mm-hmm. we had a pre, pre-briefing pre at nine o'clock the, the night before. And and she said, right, okay, so it's going to be quite quite a hard slug. We're going <laughs> to get our spikes on. We're going to walk up. Um um, this is where we're going to get water. That's the only place we're going to get water. Then we're going to push on, be there for about this time, spend about half an hour there, then we're going to come back. So actually, yeah, maybe that was a difference. That wasn't babies. That was her saying, it's gonna, it's a long day. <laughs> Are you ready? Yeah. <laughs> but also that's a bit different because you're pushing for something and you need to get somewhere, whereas this was sort of like... The, I, I just remember they would be making us walk faster and say saying that we didn't have time but then we would get to the camp before lunchtime and then have nothing to do for the rest of the day so it was like oh i would so have rather just take my time during the walk and they enjoy didn't it have the balance between sense of urgency and filling the day <laughs> yeah yeah exactly <laughs> right okay all right well listen there you go uh sorry back, <laughs> back to Everest. sorry yeah so yeah well sorry I, 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 was, I was really interesting to hear your thoughts there actually yeah because yeah but my my two were completely different then yeah that's, that's okay but <laughs> yeah, only in that there was like an end objective yeah but yeah. basically like especially after that whole experience with the people that I met and then getting that extra sort of cultural experience that is probably a once in a lifetime thing priceless yeah like that that's not you'd never ever get that on a tour the only thing you would get on a tour would be sort of pre-planned and you know like curated it's not real it's sort of real for the tourists and that's the kind of thing I really hate so the fact that all of that happened I was at that point very very confident and appreciating the fact that I had just gone and done it by myself and I hadn't gone on a tour and like the reality of it is that the there's so many people hiking to base camp every day. You can't get lost. Like there's a, there's yeah, a path you follow. If it branches off in anywhere, you could wait for five minutes and someone will point you in the right direction. Like it's, it's not something that you need to have. It's not dangerous per se. Yeah. To, to a point, obviously it's still a high altitude hike and you still have to be aware of those kind of things. But for sure, like, I overestimated it going into it and I felt way more comfortable when I was actually hiking it. Yeah, perfect. And actually, on the back of that note as well, just just before we, I, I suppose, finish the trekking, because you're so close now, mm-hmm. um, is place, places like um, there's a website called MuchBetterAdventures.com, which is brilliant like, for for all things adventure from from weekends and more. They they offer a a 
guide hike to Everest Base Camp with nights included and everything. Um, and they say 14 days. Um, I, yeah. Yeah. I mean, did, would, would you have been comfortable with 14 days if you hadn't have had the extra time? Uh, yeah, like 14 days would be fine. It's just sort of like I would say 12 minimum that gives you two two days rest on the way up and then you just kind of have a fast descent. Okay. But but I I just always like to have wiggle room so that For you sure. can say yes to things like that. If I wasn't a really strict time schedule, yeah. then I couldn't have. And that was one of the things as well is because my original plan was to do a full loop. So I was going to, after base camp, go up over a pass and then back down the other, a different valley basically. So that trek would have mm. taken me 21 days. So I'd allowed 21 days for that. But then when this experience opportunity came up, I couldn't say no to that. So I chose sort of that Absolutely. route to go with them. And I, I sacrificed going over the pass basically. And, and I circling wish- back to your objective of making it as cheap as possible as well, it would have it would have been against it had you had to buy a second plane ticket for, for a different time as well. So like you said at the beginning. Well, I hadn't actually bought my plane ticket at this point. So because you mm. – um, Numche Bazaar, the place that I was mentioning before, which is sort of the biggest hub, they have um, tourist offices in there. So you can buy your return flight on the way down from Numche Bazaar and that's sort of two days yeah. walk before you get back to – Lukla. So like that that's yeah, as you said, that's the best thing about being flexible is that it wasn't really gonna be a problem if I took more days or or not. Perfect. So we've had our celebrations uh, with the community centre with with <laughs> more sharper than than common sense. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, how how did you finish off the trip? So when we we hiked from Lombouchet all the way up to base camp. So most people would go up to Gorak Shep, which is the last um, tea house concentration, I guess, before base camp. Um, except I, the only reason I, I was planning on going to Gorak Shep myself, but because I was with these other people, I just decided to join in on their plan. And yeah. I was so glad I did because Gorak Shep doesn't have very many tea houses. So there's a big competition for spaces up there. The prices are really high. And basically you had, would have to spend two nights up there and you would have to make sure you could get a bed for two nights. And because I hadn't booked any of these accommodation, but the tour groups can book the accommodations. So that was sort of one thing where when they suggested going straight from Lumbushay, I was all for it. Yeah. So we actually started hiking at 2.30 in the morning in under the stars. Oh, and wow. Yeah, it was, it was incredible. It was really cold and all of our water froze. But you, oh, it was, wow. <laughs> yeah, but the, the stars and the moon, moonlight lit up the sky so you could still see all the mountains. It's like you couldn't really oh, see. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was something that I won't forget. But, so it was cold, but it was worth it. And it was something that you, I, don't, I don't think very many people would do that. They wouldn't really hike from Lumbushay because it is a really big day, but like, it was just kind of topped it off. The fact that I got to start my day by walking in the stars, illuminating the the mountains, and then by lunchtime I was at base camp, and then I was at the top of a different mountain that night. So I mean, that was probably the best day of my life. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> 
it sounds like it to be honest with you uh, i'm not gonna really disagree with you there <laughs> <laughs> yeah That's so we started incredible. walking we started walking at 2 30 in in the stars and then we arrived at gorup shep so that last camp yeah. um around 7 a.m and we yeah. had breakfast at one of the tea houses there and then as soon as we'd finished breakfast we um continued walking um up to base camp so it was the day and again we had perfect blue skies it was only i think it's only about an hour and a half from garak shep to base uh, to base camp so not too far at all and that's when you start walking next to the glacier um and then there was sort of like these huge avalanches happening across the valley and then the snow was coming down into the the valley and up to the glacier so it was like there was so much activity happening in the mountains that it was pretty cool especially that we were going that getting that close to base camp so you were seeing avalanches in the distance yeah it wasn't even that far away it wasn't dangerous because there was a valley, a big valley in between us, and the, the avalanche sort of stopped in the valley. But it was, I guess it was because it had been sunny for so long that everything was moving and there was just massive lumps of snow breaking off. Wow. I mean, on yeah. the basis that no one got hurt, wow. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it would be pretty impossible for people to get hurt there because it was, like, we were on the sort of the left-hand side of the valley, yeah. a little bit up on the on a path and then there was sort of this big bowl where avalanches can't really get up yeah. out of a bowl so jeez yeah it was pretty pretty epic <laughs> yeah for sure and then at um getting to base camp when when yeah. you get there also uh, i i mean really interested to know what there is to do there as well there's not a whole lot to do there except for revel and the fact that you finally made it to base camp yeah <laughs> so... that's what i was thinking <laughs> But um, we so the last little bit you start to cross yeah. the glacier, which is covered in moraine, and then um, you see all the prayer flags and everything, and it's just sort of it's just sort of the accomplishment of being there. It's not like I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily say that the physical place of base camp is any more pretty than anything you've been walking in the last few days, and you can't actually see Everest from the base camp, so <laughs> that's yeah. kind of ironic. But, like, it's just the accomplishment of knowing that you got there and that that's what you'd been walking towards for the last 10, 11, 12-plus days kind of thing. For sure, yeah. I mean, there's, there's no pool tables at Everest Base Camp. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's not. There is a little plaque which says Everest Base Camp and the year. And I've heard that, like, the Sherpas change it every year. They put a new plaque there with the year so people can, like, take pictures. Just, oh, like, etched awesome. into a rock. <laughs> that's awesome. And then you make it. That's quite an achievement. Yeah. It was, it was a pretty incredible achievement. And we were the first people to get there for the day. So we had it to ourselves as oh, well for wow. at least an hour. <laughs> Gee, yeah. I think if, if everyone takes a shot every time I say, oh, wow, this podcast, that's... <laughs> that's... <laughs> yeah they're gonna be a good night for them that's incredible that sounds so that, that hike sounds like a dream it it is like honestly it's it's something that like when I was in high school I always said that I was gonna hike Everest Base Camp but I never actually really thought about doing it it was just kind of something I said and then suddenly yeah. I found myself doing it and then I was suddenly there and I was like wow uh, this is like something I've been sort of talking about but not really 
believing in and then suddenly I made it happen <laughs> and I mean now that you're now that you've been to base camp do you have any any temptation to do Everest itself um well I mean like that temptation is kind of always there mm. because I like mountains but at the moment yeah. it's not really a realistic possibility <laughs> so yeah. I, I mean, like I mean if someone gave you 60 grand <laughs> um yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah, if someone gave me 60 grand, I'd be at the top tomorrow. <laughs> so, well, that'd be quite quick. <laughs> just sprint it, just like so, so happy you've got the funding. Just like, go, woo! <laughs> <laughs> so before we get to some wrap-up questions, uh, how, is there anything else we need to know at all? Well, my day didn't actually end there. So after oh, wow. base camp, <laughs> yeah, so there's a mountain called Kalafata which is actually higher than base camp. Base camp is um, 5,360 metres and Kalapatar is 5,643 metres. So wow. it's right next to Gorakshep, the, the last camp again. So what happened for me was um, I'd already planned on going to the top of Kalapatar. Yeah. Um, the other people I was with, hadn't planned on that. They were going back down to the camp we'd come from that day. So they were, had quite a far way to walk. And the reason they had done that was because they didn't want to carry their, their, all of their gear to the last camp. They decided to just go with day packs for the day. Um, right, yeah. But I wanted to stay Gorak Chef and I wanted to do Kalapata. So we came back from um, base camp. I said goodbye to them. They continued back down the mountain um, and then I had a quick lunch and then went up Kalapata for sunset, which was the most amazing sunset I have ever seen in my entire life and probably will ever see. It was just Kalapata itself is, it ends in like a very specific point of a rock. So, and then there's, it's very steep. So there's just, once you get to the top and you're sitting at the top, there's just giant drops off on every side and then giant mountain faces right next to you. And it sort of just feels like you're on a peak. And then there's another mountain within arm's reach, which obviously it's not quite an arm's reach, but that's just what it feels <laughs> like. So it was sort of like, I don't know. I don't really know how to explain it, but it was just an incredible place to be sitting and so surreal and then as the sun sets behind it's completely you, magical. Yeah, the it it really was, and you can see you can see Everest from there. So I'd just been to base camp, I'd come back, I could see base camp from where I was sitting on the top of this mountain, and I could see Everest. And then the sun was setting behind me, so the the sun was going down, um, and the whole sky behind me was going orange. And then it was reflecting off Everest. So Everest and the mountains next to it were bright red. Holy. And then the sky, <laughs> the sky behind Everest was like royal purple. So it was just sort of like the most ridiculously I don't, like painted sunset you would ever see. Jesus. <laughs> I, I, I'm I'm actually I don't know I'm imagining it in my head. That's that's gorgeous. You must have felt euphoric. Yeah, yeah. especially being up that high because I like I said I didn't really feel the altitude, but in the last hundred meters of Kalapatar, I definitely felt it. 
Wow. Wow. Gee, yeah, Jesus. Yeah, that's that's taken. That's yeah, that's taken the words out of my mouth. I don't, I don't, that's incredible. What a finish. That's like an encore to an to an amazing concert already. Yeah. Yeah. And it actually, was, yeah. hidden in there as well is a really good tip because if you, if you're you're saying you can't see Everest from base camp, um, then that's actually a really good tip to to anyone doing base camp is to go up that mountain so that you can actually see Everest with your own Mark One eyeballs. Yeah, you can see Everest a little bit along the way. I can't remember exactly which point, but it's quite early that you can see the peak. But it's just so far away that you don't really fathom how big it is. Yeah. And even from Kalafatar, like, it looks smaller than the mountains next to it because it's behind it. It's like the next sort of mountain range over. But yeah, it's, like, still recognisable as Everest. And the best view that you'll get from it on that hike is from the top of Kalafatar. Well, going sort of almost full circle, I've, I, you maybe you can confirm for me. I've had people say the same thing about Mont Blanc and Chamonix, is that it's so far back that it doesn't look too much taller than the mountains immediately in front of you. Yeah, it actually looks smaller than than. Yeah. <laughs> so a gill midi is like the, it well a gill is needle it's like a needle point and midi is middle obviously so it's not actually that high there's a chairlift that goes to the top of it and it looks higher than mont blanc from chamonix so similar effect just because you're so far away from the everest peak then yeah wow okay so i'm not you might pull out another gem out of nowhere but um before we get to wrap-up questions is there anything else we need to know at all um no from there it's pretty easy i mean going back down Obviously, you feel way stronger and you can go way faster. So coming yeah. down only takes a few days. Um, and then if you haven't bought your ticket from there, you have to buy it in cash in Numchi Bazaar, um, which you from then you can usually – it's only a sort of one or two days walk from Lukla, so you know what day you'll be flying at. Um, yeah. So that's that's it, really. And with Lukla being quite a big town, um, then you've – if you get there early, you've got you've got things to do or places to stay. Yeah. Well, when I got, I actually sort of ran down from the, t- after my epic day at Calabatar, I crashed, went to sleep for a few hours, got up really early the next day and like ran all the way down to catch up with the people that I was walking with before. <laughs> and we had, a, we had a little party in Lukla on our last night. <laughs> oh, wow. Well deserved as well, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Incredible. So, uh, Everest Base Camp is something I've, I've discussed uh, a few times with friends and it's come up in conversation, but I've never actually seen pictures. Um, so in my mind, I've just got this valley about 400 meters wide max that just goes up. Um, but I'm just wondering, <laughs> is, is, that what it's, is that what it's like or is it much, much wider? And the crucial question which the centers around is what's the navigation like there? Well, it's sort of all very different, which is good. So as you go along, you sort of go through valleys, you go in wooded tree areas where you can't see any mountains, and then you come out into valleys. The the valley that you're thinking of, is that's pretty much what it's like walking up the last stretch to base camp. Okay. But there's sort of – and there's a few other sections where you're in like giant wide valleys, like kilometres wide valleys with giant mountains that still feel like they're above you when they're so far away um but yeah there's a heaps of variety in the hike like forests and mountains and valleys and rivers and 
bridges. Like it's, I actually just did um, K2 base camp last year in September. Oh, wow. Yeah. You so didn't that one. That. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> so but I did that one in September last year, and that one is completely different, as in, you are literally just walking up a valley for 10 days, the same mm. valley. And like the scenery doesn't change very much. You're walking on glaciers, you're going up and down and up and down. But like that is a, a giant difference to Everest base camp in that way. That becomes more of a challenge, like a tick box exercise. That's more of a the, let's get to K2 base camp rather than let's enjoy the walk to K2 base camp. <laughs> yeah, I, w- I wouldn't really describe the walk to K2 base camp as particularly enjoyable. <laughs> <laughs> is is that because it's a bit grueling um, on, on the knees and quite a, quite a big incline? Or is that the view? It's not a really big incline. It's just so much more difficult in so many different ways. Like it's just a really remote place. There is nothing there. Like it's just, I don't even know how to describe it. The first half of it is pretty much a desert. So you're walking through sand in really hot heat. And then you're on a glacier covered in rocks. (laughs) (laughs) Jeez. (laughs) But the mountains um... make it worth it. So back back to base camp, I'm not sure there is anything at all, but what's one thing that you would do differently if you would go back again? Um, I don't really think there is anything that I would do differently. I would like to go over the pass to Gorokshep, which is what was my original plan was, was to do the loop. Um, but I was still going to try and do the loop when I got to Gorokshep. But what happened was that the weather came in and – the, the path was impassable, essentially. Like, even the the guides weren't taking people over. They were saying it was too dangerous. So, obviously, yeah. I wasn't going to do that by myself. So, no. <laughs> I had to turn back down the other way. Fair enough. Um, so, you didn't do an awful amount of research on the trip. Obviously, you knew you wanted to go and you were going to go. And you've mentioned a couple of things already. But getting there with essentially a fresh slate in your mind of what it is what was one thing that surprised you the most about the region um i think probably actually how built up it was mm-hmm. like i had always just sort of presumed that it was going to be really difficult to find the way and that getting lost was a real possibility but in reality, there's, it's just not really a possibility to get lost. Like there's so many people and there's villages everywhere and all the people are really friendly and it's not like they don't know where you're trying to go. Like <laughs> everyone, everyone knows you're trying to go to base camp. Does everyone speak English quite easily there? Yeah, yeah, they do. Um, some of the villages, like the little villages that we went to with the, with the groups I met, a lot of the elderly people there didn't speak English, but those are just the people that don't work in the tourism section of it, if that makes sense. Like yes. all of the people who live in the villages on the route to base camp, they all speak English. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That, that's, that would have been my guess is that, that the people who are around, there are so many people going up the valley, they're going to they're gonna know English. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Perfect. And then last question. And then, I think I know what the answer is, and I'm wondering if I should ban you from saying it, but I'm just going to go straight in. Um, what's what's one thing that you would relive on the trip? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I would have to say the Sherpa party <laughs> and <laughs> and obviously that sunset. <laughs> like, Lovely. And I, I actually appreciate you giving me two there. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you needed two. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because um, that, that last moment is just, it's just truly epic. It, it, it's, it, it, I think it epitomizes anyone who loves the mountains. I think that just completely epitomizes why. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I think that, that that was like, so when I got to base camp, obviously it set in that I was at, finally at base camp and it's something I'd been talking about for years, but it was more when I was sitting on that mountain and I actually had like, I was remote, I was reflecting on the fact that I'd just been at base camp rather than physically standing at base camp yeah. and it kind of made it even better. For sure, for sure. Well, listen, Kate, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast and talking to us about Everest Base Camp. It's been an absolute pleasure. No worries, you're welcome. So I really hope you enjoyed that. I certainly did. I say that at the end of every podcast. I'm lucky enough to be able to say that, I think. But um, Everest Base Camp is incredible and it's something that I definitely am going to be doing at some point in my life. So it was fantastic to hear her first, first hand experience of it all, really. If you are listening and you liked it, then please do share it with your friends. Consider subscribing and following. That's how we're going to spread the love and sort of big up the show a bit more if you would like to come onto the show then by all means get me on btmtravelpod at gmail.com but otherwise i will see you in the next episode thank you